The Edge of the World Art Studio is proud to present Helen of the Iron Horse, written by Paris Danielle Lee. Artwork by Helen Rachel Lee. Music by Fish Zombie the Onions. And special thanks to Spooky the Cat for her contributions, fuzzy as they might be. Chapter 60, Getting Up Again, 1883, January 1st, Denver, Colorado. Um... Down here on the left, Alone said. Alone led Paris and Penthesilia to a set of doors on the back side of the farmhouse. This room was mine when I was younger, and the other was my brother's. Um, he died when we were kids. A fever? Separate rooms? asked Paris. Well, you can stay together if you'd like, said Alone in surprise. No... If there's space, I want my own room, Penthesilia insisted. Celia, you're breaking up with me? asked Paris. I was never dating you, she responded as Aloni began giggling, understanding the joke. But all the nights we spent together, all the promises we made. Oh God, we didn't make any promises. I've lost my home, my job, my kitchen. And now I'm going to lose you, too? Celia, I don't think I can take it! Paris threw her arms over her eyes in an exaggerated feign, as if she were crying. Damn it, Whiskey Girl, shut up! Penthesilia went to her new room, slamming the door. Paris threw herself against the door, spreading her arms out as if hugging it. But Celia, I love you! Don't throw away my love! <laughs> But by then, even Paris couldn't hold back her laughter. <laughs> Come on in here, Alone instructed, still laughing herself. <laughs> this was my brother's room. She opened the door for Paris. Inside the room was a simple bed, a wardrobe, and a redwood chest carved with a delicate relief depicting a hunt. On the bedside table, there was a kerosene lamp. Paris walked into the small room, breathing in the stale air. She found a box of matches in the drawer. She lit the lamp. Its glow warmed the room. Sitting behind the lamp, as if hiding from someone, was a carving of a small wooden horse. Paris picked it up and examined it. A chill ran through her. Somehow, the harmless toy frightened her. She turned to Olone, holding it. Look who I found, said Paris, trying to suppress a fear she did not understand. Oh, that's where he went! I made this, explained Alone. Every once in a while, I just like to carve little animals. I made this for my brother. It was his favorite. Here, you keep it. It'll bring you good luck. Alone tried to hand it back. I couldn't think of it. Please, it's obviously special to you. And there's something about wooden horses. that They just creep me out. You don't like horses? No, I love horses. Sometimes... Pony is the only friend I have in the world. I just don't like wooden horses. Why? I don't know. It's irrational, I guess. Like people who are afraid of spiders. Oh god, I hate spiders! Being afraid of spiders is completely rational. Alone cringed, and they both laughed. Okay, okay, I'll keep it. Alone agreed. Maybe I'll carve something else for you sometime. What would you like? How about a coyote? A coyote it is. There are blankets in the chest, 
There should be an extra pillow in there as well. You're welcome to stay as long as you want, so consider this your room. Here, I'll let you unpack. Ohlone handed Paris a small bundle of clothes tied with a ribbon. There was her spare shirt, two pairs of pants, an extra set of bloomers, and two pairs of socks. And Cassandra has left you a gift in the wardrobe. Get some sleep. It's been a long day. Thank you, Ohlone. Not at all, Anna. It's just what family does. She hugged her. Then, letting her go, she walked from the room. Good night, Ohlone said as she closed the door. Good night, responded Paris. But for all her joking about Penthesilia choosing to stay in a different room, Paris suddenly felt very lonely. She'd gotten used to Penthesilia just being there. She was tempted to go into her room, maybe just sit and talk a while, but Ohlone was right. It was late, and it was time to get some sleep. Paris opened the wardrobe to find, on a shelf inside, sat her glass and the bottle of whiskey she'd received for Christmas. This must be Cassandra's gift. She picked up the glass examining it. It was an exact copy of all the other glasses they had in the bar, but Penthesilia always used this one to serve her over and over again. It was the one Naomi had given her before her boxing match with Thomas. It was the one she raised in triumph after she beat the sheriff. It had set in a place of honor among the bottles above the bar. The whiskey glass of the whiskey girl. She opened the bottle, poured herself a drink, and took down half of the glass in one swig. She held her breath, feeling the alcohol drop into her stomach and spread through her body, to the tips of her fingers and the end of her toes. Breathing out slowly, she could taste the whiskey on her breath. It was part of her now, and now she felt less lonely. The whiskey would keep her company. Setting down the glass, she picked up her clothes, opened a drawer, and set them into the wardrobe. She unbuckled her gun belts, very carefully removing them. She hung them in the wardrobe and set her boots aside. She took off her shirt and her pants. Folding them neatly, she set them on the shelf under the whiskey bottle. She looked at her wardrobe. It now held all of her worldly possessions, and it was still mostly empty. She took the single-action army pistol out of her holster and brought it with her along with her glass to the bed. She placed them both on the bedside table. Then, opening the redwood chest, she began to remove the pillow and several heavy blankets. She thought about Thalia. Maybe she should have stayed. Strike two. What did that mean? Strike two? Paris hadn't stayed with Thalia in the morning, and she didn't stay tonight. Paris did like it when Thalia spent time in the kitchen drinking coffee and talking. Last night, with Thalia in the brothel's bath was special. Paris had felt pampered. She had never been treated like that before. Like a prince. Or like a princess. She had been cared for. She'd felt loved. So often is she treated like a man, fighting so hard to just be seen as strong. It's just assumed that she can take care of herself. And she can, but it's nice not to have to. To have someone take care of her. She realized she did love Thalia. And Thalia wanted to love her back, or at least it seemed so. Thalia loved anyone who paid her. It was her job, and she was being paid. Strike two, Paris remembered. It implied that there would be another chance, but just one more. 
a warning veiled and abstracted by Penthesilia's humor. Paris was a fighter and a gunslinger, but that didn't mean she wasn't a woman and didn't feel the heartbreak of rejection. Thalia was a prostitute, trained in the art of seduction with the ability to fake love with people she barely knew, but that didn't mean she wasn't a woman and didn't feel the heartbreak of rejection. Thalia's body was available if you paid for it, but Thalia's heart was not. Her heart was a gift that would not be offered to Paris forever, especially if she kept walking away from it. Next time she would stay. She was determined not to hear the words, Strike three. Penthesilia woke up. For a moment, she panicked when she realized Paris wasn't next to her. Then she remembered where she was and what had happened. She looked out the window. It was dark. Damn it, she thought, as she realized it was three in the morning. Paris always woke her up at three in the morning as she slipped out of bed to work downstairs. Now, Penthesilia was waking up at three in the morning on her own. Frustrated, she pulled the blankets back over herself and went back to sleep. She woke up again at five. Time for the fighting class. There would be no fighting class today. There was nowhere to hold it. And it was Sunday. Penthesilia didn't attend the class, but she liked watching it. They made too much noise downstairs for her to sleep anyways. And she liked the girls. They were fun, and they laughed, and they made the Amazon warm and happy. Before Paris, it was just her— and on some level, maybe William was right. She hated the men. She mocked them. She teased them. She served them watered-down drinks when they got too drunk to know the difference. She let them fight just to break up the monotony of the day. She had spent so much time alone in that bar. William off with his family, Cynthia not talking to her, and Naomi. She never did know what to do about Naomi. It was just easier to keep everyone at arm's length. Then... The whiskey girl showed up. William had said that the bar was for out-of-town drunks. Women didn't enter the bar. It was for rough men and drinking. Women never felt safe in it. Until Paris. Until the whiskey girl. Ironically, she was an out-of-town drunk. She changed it. Offering real food, giving her boxing lessons. She didn't just bring the girls in. She made them family. They walked through the bar like they owned it eating in the kitchen, drinking coffee out of ceramic beer steins, the way they ate. She should have been selling coffee and chicken sandwiches. The profit margins would have been higher. There were always girls in the kitchen. They helped plan the boxing matches like they were planning a grand adventure. You have a kingdom, her mother had told her. It's made of people. And as her mother anticipated, they did not let her down. They did not abandon her. She laid down in the bed Ohlone had offered her. She had a place to live because of these girls. Because of the whiskey girl. But now what? There was no reason to get up. There was no bar to open. There was no church to go to. Unless she wanted to become Catholic. She decided against it and went back to bed. Penthesilia awoke the third time to the sound of someone knocking at the door. Would you like some breakfast? Mary asked from the other side. You should get up and come get some, or Ohlone will be insulted. I'll be right there, Penthesilia replied. In the farmhouse kitchen, Ohlone worked at the hearth. She was frying pancakes and setting them on the table. 
Mary, Naomi, and Cynthia were already halfway through theirs when Penthesilia sat down. "'Where's the whiskey girl?' she asked. "'In the barn,' Eleni replied. "'Feeding pony?' "'No, she's cleaning it out.' "'You should go talk to her when you're done with your pancakes.' Eleni placed a stack in front of Penthesilia and slid the syrup over to her. "'How have you been doing, Celia?' asked Naomi. "'I don't know how to answer that,' she replied. "'With the truth, we are your friends, and we're worried about you,' Naomi continued. "'You know, sometimes you can see a disaster coming. You know the possibility, you plan for it, you prepare as best you can, but when it happens, it's never what you expect. Fucking William!' The worst part is, there's no way to get back at him. He would rather close that bar down and leave it to rot than have it open, making a profit. So to say he'll be hurt by my loss or he'll regret his decision when the business fails without me, that's a lie. I don't matter to him. I knew that our affair, despite his promises, was just a convenience. But that bar? I thought that did matter to him. I thought he respected my work, if not my body, God, I was so stupid. You weren't stupid, Celia. You were hopeful, Cynthia explained. You saw the opportunity, and you took it. You made the best of it. You proved him wrong. Do you know what he said to me when he left me for you? He said that all I would ever be was a waitress. That I was too stupid to do anything else, and that I should thank God he gave me that one talent, or I would have ended up as a whore. He told me he wanted someone who had the potential to be something more. He lied to you. I know he lied to me. He said those things just to hurt us. They weren't true. I think he's scared of you. He thought he had you under his thumb. When he found out he didn't, he tried to put you back there. And when that failed... He settled on destroying you. Why would he be scared of me? <laughs> because in one month, you found a way to outperform every business he had. Think of what you could have done, especially if you had kept hosting these fights. With enough money, you could have been able to buy that bar. Or one like it. And with the profits from that one, you'd buy another and another running them with a passion he doesn't have. He doesn't run his businesses. He has other people do it, and each one of his managers secretly hates him. I wouldn't be surprised to find that you weren't the only one skimming off the top. He saw your potential from the very beginning. He tried to harness that potential, but you were breaking free. So he tried to kill that potential. Come on, let's go see the whiskey girl. Cynthia took the last bite of her pancake. Penthesilia had barely touched hers, but it had gotten cold and she didn't feel like eating. She felt like going back to bed, but instead she took her friend's hand, letting her lead her to the barn. Paris took a moment to survey the work she had done so far. She had leaned against Pony's stall. She had been gathering tools and supplies, reorganizing everything before she determined whether it would stay or whether it would go. Cassandra swept the floors and helped Paris lift anything she could not get on her own. Penthesilia and Cynthia came in through the side door. Paris ran to her and hugged her before she could say anything. You're awake. I told them to let you sleep, but I'm glad you're here. 
Look at this. We're going to take out these stalls. We're going to keep the ones in the back. That's where Pony, Carmel, and Flatulence, Alone and Mary's horses, will stay. Everything else is being moved to Mary's ranch to clear the space. Paris explained. Space for what? The ring. We're going to put the ring here, center. We'll be able to use hay bales until we can buy actual benches. If we stack them up in the back, then we can put more people in, and they can see better from a higher level. There's no more matches, Penthesilia said. There will be. Assured Paris. We have no more customers. We will have. It's it's over, Whiskey Girl. There's nothing left. Of course there is. Look, we can stack the kegs up over here. The kitchen in the farmhouse isn't big enough to run a restaurant out of, but it should be big enough to prepare sausage and pretzels, just like Finnegan used to. Who's Finnegan? An old fight promoter my dad knew. I know, it's not everything, but we made more money on the fights than we did anything else. It's the beginning. We can start again. We can buy a new restaurant, or a bar, or a hotel, or anything else you want to run. I know it's starting over but it's starting bigger. This barn will hold four times as many people as the bar did. Oh, whiskey girl. I I don't know. Look what I have. Paris went to a table made out of planks of wood set on sawhorses. She took off the burlap fabric that covered the purple and gray Amazon sign. We're going to make a new Amazon, and it's going to need a queen. <laughs> Are you offering me a job? <laughs> Think about it, Celia, Cynthia said as she took her hands. In one month, you stole enough business from William to scare the piss out of him. Imagine what we could do in three months or six. This is how you get back at him. This is how you hurt him. This is how you make him regret ever underestimating you. Penthesilia smiled. He broke his promises. He used me. He insulted me. He took my bar from me. You're right. It's time to make him pay. Cynthia, go find everyone. Tell them I need their help. Tell them to bring everyone they can. Spouses, fiancés, brothers, sisters, get all of the Amazons together and get them to this barn. We're going to war. Whiskey girl, you ready to fight? Celia, I will fight anyone for you. All you have to do is ask. That's what I like to hear. Penthesilia stepped up to the makeshift table. She looked at the Amazon sign. If we get the blacksmith to make us brackets, we should be able to bolt the sign up above the barn door. Then we won't have to wait till spring for the wood to thaw. I will see to it. All right. Also, I want to serve coffee and chicken sandwiches. What? Not sausage, beer, and pretzels. We'll sell beer, whiskey, coffee, and chicken sandwiches. Okay. Chicken sandwiches it is. Is this going to work, Whiskey Girl? My Uncle Henry said, Life is a game with no rules. You may not know how to win, but as long as you're alive, you can still play. Answered Paris. That's meaningless, <laughs> replied Penthesilia. How about this? My father once told me, Get up or forfeit. Okay, now that I understand. One last question. Go ahead. Did you say Mary's horse was named Flatulence? Asked Penthesilia. Yep. Why? Oh, 
You'll find out. This has been Helen of the Iron Horse. Written by Paris Lee. Artwork by Helen Lee. Performed by Helen and Paris. All characters within are fictional and bear no intentional resemblance to anyone living or dead. Except, I guess, for Helen and Paris. See more of our work at edgeoftheworldart.com. If you would like to comment on the show or ask any question, please email us at helenoftheironhorse at gmail.com. The proceeding was made with the love and encouragement of all of our friends at the LA LGBT Center's Trans Lounge. Thank you.